This is episode number 317 of the Restaurant Strategy Podcast. This is the seventh episode in a 10-episode arc all about rethinking restaurants. I'm challenging you to reimagine, to think outside the box, um, to, 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 to envision uh, a different, a different uh, future for our industry. I think the restaurants, uh, the, the, the restaurant we now know is only a couple hundred years old, but they've been around for thousands of years, and what used to work is no longer working. I know that because I speak to uh, tons of you every single week, and I know you're getting squeezed. I'm simply suggesting that there's a different way, that we can't keep doing things the same way and expect profits to magically appear. Right, Labor goes up, the cost of goods goes up, our rent goes up, we are getting squeezed because there's only so much we can charge our people, I get that. And so I'm challenging you to rethink the way we do what we do. On today, I wanna finish talking about our people. So in the last episode, we talked all about compensation. We talked all about tipping. We talked all about how we take care uh, and pay our people. Today, I wanna to continue that, and I wanna, I wanna talk about um, how we educate and how we continue to develop our people. So instead of a job, we, we can provide a career. And I'm gonna go deeper into that because it's not exactly what you think I'm gonna talk about. All of that and more on today's episode of Restaurant Strategy. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast with answers for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast dedicated solely to helping you build a more profitable restaurant. Each week I leverage my 20 plus years in the industry to help you build that more profitable and sustainable business, a business that will provide for you and your family for many generations to come. I also work directly with owners and operators from all over the world through my P3 Mastermind program. So this is a group coaching format where I gather 30, 40 different restaurant owners on a call every single week. To date, we've got more than 100 members in the group spread across three different groups. The impact we're making is real. The program works. If you got a busy restaurant, you make a lot of hungry people happy, but you struggle to generate consistent, predictable 20% profits, then we want to chat with you. Set up a call absolutely free with me or someone from my team by visiting our website, restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. Grab some time in the calendar. We'll get to learn more about you and your restaurant. You'll get to ask questions about the program we run. Let's see if you're a good fit. If you are, we can talk all about the next steps. Again, you do that by setting up that free call on our website. That link is in the show notes. We all know managing costs is one of the most important parts of running a profitable restaurant, especially now. But between fluctuating vendor prices, uh, waste, labor, and the never-ending list of tasks that demand your attention on a daily basis, it can be challenging for even the most experienced of us to manage those costs well. That's where Margin Edge comes in. Margin Edge is a complete restaurant management software that automatically uses data from your POS and invoices to show you your food and labor costs in real time. Don't wait until it's too late. Margin Edge gives you tools to make decisions in the moment, like a daily P&L, price alerts on key ingredients, and real-time plate costs all without ever having to touch a spreadsheet. Take control of your costs, work more efficiently, and be more profitable. Learn more at marginedge.com chip, and yes, that link is in the show notes. 
Today's episode is also brought to you by Seven Chefs. Running a restaurant is hard work, but managing your team doesn't have to be. If you're spending hours on scheduling and chasing your team down through text chains and emails, you got to check out Seven Shifts, a team management platform built specifically for restaurants. With Seven Shifts, you can create and publish schedules in minutes. You can communicate with your team and pay your employees all in a single tool. Seven Shifts helps your team make more profitable decisions, improve operating efficiency, and most importantly, it gives you time back in your day. And right now, Restaurant Strategy Podcast listeners can get three months free. To get started, visit sevenshifts.com slash restaurantstrategy. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash restaurantstrategy to get three months of industry-leading team management software for free. As always, that link is in the show notes. Now, today we're talking about our people, right? Again, this is a whole stretch of episodes uh, that I've dubbed Rethinking Restaurants. The world has changed. Technology has changed that. We're going to talk more specifically about technology next episode, so stay tuned. But technology has changed our world over the last 30 years, and our industry has changed in profound ways over the next three. But I think the next 10 years are going to revolutionize uh, our industry, and I think it has to because, as I, as I mentioned earlier, Profit margins are getting squeezed tighter and tighter and tighter. I can remember 20 years ago, we were aiming for 45 to 50% prime cost, right? And now that number is 60 to 65. I coach all of my clients to target something under 60, but it's hard. Uh, uh, labor is increasing. Rent is going up, right? We know the cost of goods has gone up. We're getting squeezed. We have to be willing to rethink our industry, to rethink how we do what we do. A big part of that is our people, right? The people, because we do require people. Even if we start bringing automation and technology to the table, it's not going to replace the people, certainly not entirely. We're going to need our people to do what they do really well and to do more and to do more important jobs. So the question will always be, how do we attract and retain talent? How do we continue to develop that talent so that they grow with us? I want to have a deliberate conversation about that, but to start, we need to agree on something. There's something foundational we need to all understand. So I'm going to oversimplify this, but understand that people's professional lives are there to support their personal lives. Even if they love their job, even if they're passionate about our industry, they don't always want to be at the restaurant. If they were independently wealthy, there's some days where they just want to sit at home and watch TV. There's some days where they want to hang out with their kids. There's some days where they want to go for a hike or go to the beach. Let's agree on the fact that some days you just don't want to do the stuff you have to do. But because we get paid and that money helps us pay for our house and our car and our clothes and food, we go to work. We go to work even when we may not want to go to work. So foundationally, we have, to, we have to understand and acknowledge that. That in the real world, our professional lives exist to support our personal lives. And I'm incredibly passionate about what I do, right? I am not independently wealthy, though. I need to do things that generate income so that I can provide for me and my family. It's the same as you. It's the same as all the people who work for you. We are not independently wealthy. If I was, I would probably I would probably frame my week differently. 
not saying I don't love what I do. I am incredibly passionate about it, and I'm grateful to be able to do what I do. But even I don't want to do it every single day. Some days I just want to sit around and watch TV. Some days I just want to go golf. Some days I just want to go to the beach. That is true for me, for you, and everyone who works for you. We have to acknowledge and accept that before we move forward to talk about anything else. When we talk about our people, when we talk about compensation, and we started this conversation last time, there are certain things that they need from a job. The things that workers wanted 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago is different than what they need it now. Every generation, it changes. Right now, we talk more about work-life balance than we talk about six-figure salaries. That's huge. When I was growing up, it was the six-figure salary, the six-figure salary, the house, the two cars, the vacations. It was about how can I get as much as I, uh, much money as I can to be able to pay for as much stuff as I can. I think that was our parents' generation, at least my parents' generation. Now, my generation, a lot of people I know and, and younger than me are really interested in work-life balance. I'm very interested in work-life balance. Now, I spent those years working the 60, 70, 80-hour weeks, opening restaurants and doing all that. And I wouldn't have traded that. I think I learned a ton, made me appreciate what I have now. But I'm, I'm interested, me personally, Chip, I'm interested in work-life balance. That's something we never really talked about before. So when we talk about compensation, understand that the way we pay our people isn't necessarily just with money. We pay them with time. We pay them with education. We pay them with quality of life, with happiness, with uh, satisfaction. There are a lot of things, there are a lot of things that we can pay people. So when we talk about compensation, let's not just think about the dollars and cents that people make every hour. Let's think how we feed them, how we feed their families, their souls, their future. As it turns out, that becomes a really important conversation to have in order to have the next conversation. Part of the way we pay people, the way we compensate people, is through their education. Education is a piece of development. Now, let's back up and talk about education in a formal sense. 100 years ago, 200 years ago, there was no CIA. There was no French Culinary Institute. There was no ICE. There was no nothing. You went and apprenticed or staged at a restaurant. You started at the bottom. You washed dishes. You were a porter. You were a prep cook. Then you were a line cook then a sous chef, then a chef, then a CDC, then an executive chef. That's how you moved up. And eventually maybe you owned your own restaurant because you learned enough to know how to run a profitable, successful restaurant. You apprentice. It was the apprentice model. It's been that way for hundreds of years. A lot of Europe, Germany, notably, a lot of even their formal education is still grounded in this idea of apprenticeship. That you went and worked for somebody. You were paid to do things that you could do. And at the beginning, you couldn't do much. So you started at the bottom. Now people go to school to learn knife skills, to learn how to build mother sauces, 
to learn how to grill and sear and, and all of that, which is great, which is fine. But let's just be aware that 100 years ago, that wasn't necessarily the case. That's really just something that popped up in the last 50 years, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But that's a change. So when we talk about how things are changing, how things are evolving, that's something that's changed and evolved, which is cool. It's cool that, uh, that the culinary uh, world is big enough in this country now where we've got schools that run programs to teach people how to do all this stuff. But there are other ways to do stuff. So when we talk about education, let's look at that formal education and let's make sure we're really using it to its fullest. So if you're going to go to culinary school, yes, you need to learn the basics of how, of how we make food, how we apply salt, fat, acid, heat to change the chemistry of proteins to be edible and to taste better than they do in their raw state. There is just, there's, that's a craft. Those are skills, hard skills to be learned. But I hope when we start talking about formal education, we also talk more about how we develop a concept, how we evolve a concept. Hope we uh, teach uh, vision and leadership and management. Because I, I got to tell you, there's not a lot of that that I see being taught in those formal, in those formal programs. Yes, you have to know how to build a mother sauce, but you also have to be able to talk to someone and to motivate someone so that they do what you need them to do. That's a skill, just like anything else. So when we talk about education, let's make sure that as we become the new generation, we get to teach the next generation. And let's make sure that we're teaching them the things that we know they need to succeed. We've all been there. We've all seen what you need to succeed. I think we have a better idea. I've certainly dedicated myself and my time to teaching people the things that I had the privilege of learning that I know a lot of other people never learn. So when we talk about education, at least in the formal sense, I hope we continue to evolve how these programs operate. Because I think we can do better for the students who come through there. But then when we get out of the academic sense of the word, let's go back into the restaurant. Because the way that people learned for hundreds of years was they learned by apprenticing, meaning they started at the bottom and worked their way up. And the people above showed them everything they knew so that in time they became the expert. And that, in many ways, is still how a restaurant runs. I was the beneficiary of that sort of system. I've said this over and over again. I was... Um, uh, I was an actor. That's, I was an out-of-work actor when I came to New York. What do you do as an out-of-work actor? You get a job in a restaurant. I took the back door to get into this industry. But man, I was given the keys to the kingdom. I was shown so much, even in my early days, from just about the beginning. And I know that had to do with the company that I worked for. It was a very difficult company to work for, but man, they taught me a lot. I was given a lot of opportunities back then. And then it continued. So when we talk about education and development, 
Um, I, I've talked about this before, how to build a really great training program. I like to think about um, how we educate our people in terms of level one, level two, and level three. So when we train people, especially when we talk about training in the restaurants, for the most part, when I talk to people about training, they talk to me about the first seven days of someone's employment. Basically how you shoot them out of a can and teach them as much as you possibly can so that they can survive a busy Saturday night. And that's what I call level one training. That's the prerequisite. You need to teach them level one training. Drinking from a fire hose, shot out of a cannon. How do you teach them all of this stuff so that they can survive on a busy Saturday night? That's important, but man, that is not where education should stop. That's just what's required to get them up and running. But when we talk about level two and level three training, those are very specific things. So level one training asks the following question. How do we get somebody good enough in their first seven days to be able to survive a station, to be able to take a, a section on a busy Saturday night? Level two training says, how can we get someone to be as good as our best person by the end of their first 90 days? There are a lot of different ways you can do that. But first, we have to agree on the fact that we should be trying to do that. People aren't good on their eighth day, on their 12th day. They're not. They're barely surviving. They're overwhelmed. They're in the weeds. So what do we continue to do? How do we continue to develop them over the course of the 90 days so that they are incredibly valuable to us by the end of their three-month mark? I've shared the story. The very first company I worked for here in New York City was Be Our Guest Restaurants. And it was sort of a bunch of fine dining restaurants. They were all different concepts, seafood concepts, sushi, Chinese restaurants. Uh, but they were good. And I worked in a restaurant right in Times Square Um but they had a killer wine list. They had, you know, caviar and raw bar on the menu and, you know, four pound lobsters and sushi. And there was, it was good. I was introduced to a whole lot of stuff I otherwise wouldn't have been introduced to. But what they did for their, they didn't call it this. That's what I call it. But basically what they did for their level two training is that new servers had to take three classes a week for their first 12 weeks. So for their first three months, they took a class Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Monday was food, Wednesday was spirits, Friday was wine. The idea being they couldn't have possibly seen or tasted everything in their first week. They did what, one kitchen trail, one bar trail? So over Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're going to give them a crash course in our menu. We're going to give them a crash course in spirits because the more a, a new young green server knows about spirits, the more confident they're going to be in selling those spirits. And there's a lot to learn. We look at, you know, clear spirits. What's the difference between vodka and gin? What are all the different uh, versions of gin? What are all the different expressions of brown spirits? So whiskey, bourbon, scotch, Irish whiskey, Canadian whiskey, they all have different expressions, different uh, qualities about them. Look at tequila. Look at all the different kinds of tequila there are. And then what happens when you mix them uh, with a cocktail? What is a cocktail? learning the foundations of how you, uh, how you build cocktails and the history of it. And then, of course, wine, right? White wine, red wine, new world, old world, light body, medium body, full, what's tannin? All of that 
all of it. There's so much to learn, all the different expressions of the Chardonnay grape. So over the course of it, and think of this in terms of like a punch card, you do your Monday class on week one, you punch it. So no matter when somebody starts over the course of the 12 weeks, maybe they're starting on week four, they do week four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, and then go do one, two, three. They loop back around. doesn't matter where you start. There's no progression to it. You're just learning a whole bunch of stuff every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And what happened is that that was a really powerful thing, and I hated it. I hated doing it. It was a new server. You were working a lot of shifts. You were working a lot of cruddy shifts, and then you had to carve out the time to be there every Monday, Wednesday, Friday from 3 to 4. It was a pain in the butt. But you know what? By the end of the 90 days, I was a much better server than when I started. And that... That sort of sparked a curiosity for the industry, an appreciation for all the different things that we serve. That got me on my road. So if level one training says, how do you get someone to be as uh, good as they can be, uh, you know, good enough to, to take a station at the end of seven days, level two says, how do you make him as good as your best person? How do you make this bartender as good as your best bartender or this server as good as your best server by the end of 90 days? And that's your challenge. Now, I'm telling you the way that this one restaurant did it. You don't have to do that. You do whatever you need to do. But you have to answer that question. And that's true for every department. Bussers, runners, servers, bartenders, managers, hosts, prep cooks, dishwashers, line cooks. There's something that you can continue to teach them to develop their skills. Now, for a line cook, maybe it's getting really good at one station and then moving around to other stations. We certainly know that, although that progression usually doesn't happen after 90 days. That's at the six-month mark, the nine-month mark, the year mark. They go from garmage to saute to grill, and so we understand that. But there's still stuff you can do to continue them progressing. And then finally, level three training simply says, how do you set them up to be promoted, to continue their progression over the course of their career so it's not just a job? It's not just a paycheck, but they can continue to grow with the restaurant as their lives and their priorities change. So back to where I started this. Our professional lives exist to support our personal lives. We have to acknowledge that what somebody wants at the age of 23 when they take a job with us is different than what they might need at 25 or 28 or 30 or 35. Now for sometimes there's an expiration date on our jobs and they work really hard and then it's just time for them to leave and then they leave, fine. But I think there's plenty of people that would probably be happy to stick with us if they had a way to grow within the restaurant or within the restaurant group. If they could be a back waiter and then become a front waiter and then a server and then a bar back and then a bartender and then a floor manager and then a service director and a bar manager beverage director, a GM, a director of operations, a managing partner to oversee and take a truly a sense of ownership over a, a property or a couple of properties. There's so many ways we can develop people. And I think one thing that we're really bad at is understanding about the jobs that we have and how we continue to nurture talent. What I truly hope we figure out over the next few years is how to make sure people know that they're welcome here and that this is a really good way to make a living. It's a very low barrier of entry. You do not need to go to school for this. 
you can pretty much do all on-the-job training. You can learn what you need to learn, for the most part, on the job. Certainly, I had never set foot in a fine dining restaurant before the age of 22 when I got my first fine dining job. But they taught me. I learned by watching, and then they trained me, and they taught me. So much of it is just education. How do you know about wine unless you're around a lot of wine, tasting a lot of wine, smelling a lot of wine, seeing how it, uh, how it interacts with food? You can't. You can't know that. So with level one training, I think that's pretty clear. Level two, I think I've made my point. You just simply have to put a plan together. You have to acknowledge that it needs to be done. And then level three training is how do we identify talent or how do we identify people's desire to grow or how their priorities are changing so that we can continue to serve them in the ways that they need to be served. If we get better about that, being there for our people, Yep, they're here for us. They're working shifts. They're selling our stuff. They're cooking our food. They're logging hours. They're doing what we need them to do. But can we continue to do more for them? I think the answer is yes. And I think when we figure that out, we will be better. Because at the end of the day, our jobs do have flexibility. Our jobs allow you to travel. Our jobs allow you to be around some of the, the greatest things on the planet. Food, wine, spirits smells you learn more about how to work with people different people from different backgrounds different nationalities different languages different races religions there are very few industries on this planet where you get that sort of real world education certainly not in a lot of office jobs you're around a lot of other people who went to schools like you went to we're trying to get jobs like you guys all got. Similar socioeconomic backgrounds, similar ambitions and all of that. And that's nice. That's fine. There's something really extraordinary about what restaurants do where they put a lot of people together from a lot of different backgrounds that are all going a lot of different places. I think we could do a better job of celebrating that. I think we can. So when we talk about our people and what they need, part of what they need is to be bettered, to be shown a way forward. That is part of the compensation. Part of what we're giving them is a future. There's an opportunity for them to be better when they leave us than when they started. Simply by the way that we treat them, by the way that we guide them, nurture them, educate them. So when we talk about education and when we talk about staff development, that ends up being a really key piece to it. Now, let me just say that this doesn't happen by accident. Some of it, some of it, if you're a really strong leader, just being around a really strong leader, you can't help but learn. But some of it, much of it requires that a strong leader develop that talent. It's not just telling them what to do, but asking them, what do you think we should do? I always talk about systems and goals. So much of a, uh, being a great leader is coming up with the goal, right? We're all sitting there in the, in the rowboat. We all got uh, oars in our hands. And the leader says, we're rowing in that direction. 
and then everybody rows in the same direction. The leader points out the direction. The leader has vision. But it requires that everybody else work together to get them there. Sometimes, sometimes leadership is about saying, this is how much revenue we need to make. This month, we need to make $155,000 in revenue. Last year, this month, last year, we did 135. So we need to increase by $20,000. What should we do? What should we do to do to get there? And ask them to bring solutions to the table. That gets a sense of buy-in and ownership that is uh, it's really hard to replicate. So when we when we talk about how we educate, how we lead and develop our teams, a big part of that is showing them how to be leaders. And man, that's another thing that we give them. That's another thing we pay them. I can't stress this enough. We have to redefine compensation. Again, we started having the conversation last week. We're finishing it today. Compensation is beyond just what we pay them. It's beyond what we just put in their bank account. Really, compensation is everything they get. So they get fair pay and health insurance and a 401k and paid time off and sick days and an education and balance. And they're taught what leadership is, how to deal with people. They're taught compassion, how to be around other people who are not like them. And I think that's incredible. I think that's incredibly powerful. When we move forward into the future in this industry, we have to be willing to rethink the compensation model. Yes, how we pay people, that's what last week was about, but also how we define compensation. And we should quantify it. We should say, this is everything you get from this job. We are paying you $28 an hour. You get health insurance. We pay 50% of the premium. You get sick days. You get one week paid time off at the end of a year, two uh, weeks paid time off at the end of your two years. We are going to teach you every station in this kitchen. We're going to teach you leadership. We're going to show you how to take inventory, how to set PARs. We're going to teach you how to do the ordering, how to manage cost of goods sold so that you know how to run a profitable restaurant. That's all the stuff we're going to teach you. I think we should quantify that. We should put that down because it's part of how we pay people. If we're good, if we're good at doing that, and I think we shouldn't make it a priority to get good at doing that. We can do that. We can make better people. We'll be able to find better people, keep better people, and develop them so they stay with us for a very, very long time. If we're just looking at the hourly rate we pay people, there's always somewhere else that's willing to pay them more. Always. But a job at Target, while it might pay $2 more an hour than our job, I promise you it's not going to give them the kind of satisfaction that our jobs can give them. They're not going to learn the kind of things that we can teach them. They're not going to grow and develop and, and have the pride for their work that I know they can have here with us. But we have to be intentional about it. So when we talk about rethinking restaurants, we have to go after it. We have to make it happen, not just assume it will happen. 
So that's that seventh installment of 10 episodes uh, dubbed Rethinking Restaurants. One last note here before I let you go, please take a couple of minutes. If you get any sort of value from this show, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. A bunch of you guys have been great about doing it. We've gotten about 10 or 15 just over the last two weeks. Um, I notice it. I see it. Thank you so much. If you can do that for me, uh, that more than anything else helps move the needle in my small business. I appreciate you guys being here each and every week. I hope you continue to get something out of this show. This is this is all for you guys. Um, it's literally, I think, why I'm on this planet, to help uh, independent restaurant owners uh, do things more profitably. Thank you for taking the time to be here, and I will see you next time.